0: Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shempach. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you.
1: In this episode, I will share with you the story of The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen. It's a sad Danish literary tale written in 1845. The subject has similarities to Dickens' A Christmas Carol written two years earlier in Victorian England. Both tales focus on the fate of the poor when the world is divided into haves and have-nots. We'll also explore the character of the grandmother as a figure of hope and rescue. great
0: while ago when the world was full of wonders.
1: Hans Christian Andersen was a Danish writer who lived from 1805 until 1875. Some scholars regard him as the father of the modern fairy tale. His parents were working-class people whose real-life struggles became the theme found in many of his stories. In fact, an anecdote from his mother's childhood became the essence of this story. While Andersen was influenced by Danish folklore motifs, his themes were strongly Christian. We'll discuss the similarity to Dickens' A Christmas Carol and how both authors portray the plight of the poor. These stories leave us with questions as to what we are called to do this holiday season.
0: But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time— but in the wise crone's time.
1: I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine yourself in Europe in the early 19th century. The homes of the upper and middle class were close to those who were living in unbearable poverty and filth. The rich and the poor alike were thrown together in crowded city streets. This story... And the story of Dickens' Christmas Carol begins in the evening. and We might imagine ourselves on those streets, crowded with people, many, many poor living on the street, street sweepers trying to keep the streets clean of manure from the horse-drawn carriages, the smell of the cold-burning stoves in the air, sewage, flowed into the streets at times. And at night, there were gaslights on the major streets. But some of the streets were not lit at all. There was darkness. But still, the bustle of people, the peddlers trying to get your attention, the poor asking for a handout, and the sound of the horses. On the cobblestone streets, the smell of the soot in the air and the darkness. And that is where this story begins. Most terribly cold it was. It snowed and was nearly quite dark. An evening. The last evening of the year. In this cold and darkness, there went along the street a poor little girl, bareheaded and with naked feet. When she left home, she had slippers on. It was true. But what was the good of that? They were very large slippers, which her mother had hitherto worn. So large were they. And the poor little thing lost them as she scuffled away across the street because of two carriages that roll by dreadfully fast. One slipper was nowhere to be found. The other had been laid hold of by an urchin, and off he ran with it. He thought it would do capitally for a cradle when he some day or other should have children himself. So the little maiden walked on with her tiny naked feet, that were quite red and blue from cold. She carried a quantity of matches in an old apron and she held a bundle of them in her hand. Nobody had bought anything of her the whole live-long day. No one had given her a single farthing. She crept along trembling with cold and hunger, a very picture of sorrow, the poor little thing. The flakes of snow covered her long fair hair, which fell in beautiful curls around her neck. But of that, of course, she never once now thought. From all the windows the candles were gleaming and it smelt so deliciously of roast goose for you know it was New Year's Eve. Yes, of that she thought. In a corner formed by two houses of which one advanced more than the other she seated herself down and cowered together. Her little feet she had drawn close up to her But she grew colder and colder, and to go home she did not venture, for she had not sold any matches and could not bring a farthing of money. From her father she would certainly get blows. And at home it was cold too, for above her she had only the roof, through which the wind whistled, even though the largest cracks were stopped up with straw and rags. Her little hands were almost numbed with coal. Oh, a match might afford her a world of comfort if she only dared take a single one out of the bundle, draw it against the wall, and warm her fingers by it. She drew one out. Riched! How it blazed! How it burned! It was a warm, bright flame like a candle. As she held her hands over it, it was a wonderful light. It seemed really to the little maiden as though she were sitting before a large iron stove with burnished brass feet and a brass ornament on top. The fire burned with such blessed influence. It warmed so delightfully. The little girl had already stretched out her feet to warm them, too. But the small flame went out. The stove vanished. She had only the remains of the burnt-out match in her hand. She rubbed another against the wall. It burned brightly, and where the light fell on the wall, where the wall became transparent like a veil, so that she could see into the room, on the table was spread... A snow-white tablecloth, upon it was a splendid porcelain service, and the roast goose was steaming famously with its stuffing of apple and dried plums. And what was still more capital, behold, was the goose hopped down from the dish, reeled about on the floor with knife and fork in its breast, till it came up to the poor little girl when... The match went out, and nothing but the thick, cold, damp wall was left behind. She lighted another match. Now there, she was sitting under the most magnificent Christmas tree. It was still larger and more decorated than the one she had seen through the glass door in the rich merchant's house. Thousands of lights were burning on the green branches and gaily colored pictures, such as she had seen in the shop windows, looked down upon her. The little maiden stretched out her hands toward them when the match went out. The lights of the Christmas tree rose higher and higher. She saw them now as stars in heaven. One fell down and formed a long trail of fire. Someone is just dead, said the little girl, for her old grandmother, the only person who had loved her, and who was now no more, had told her that when a star falls, a soul ascends to God. She drew another match against the wall. It was again light, and in the luster, There stood the old grandmother, so bright and radiant, so mild, and with such an expression of love. Grandmother, cried the little one, oh, take me with you. You go away when the match burns out. You vanish like the warm stove, like the delicious roast goose, and like the magnificent Christmas tree. And she rubbed the whole bundle of matches quickly against the wall, for she wanted to be quite sure of keeping her grandmother near her. And the matches gave such a brilliant light that it was brighter than at noonday. Never formerly had the grandmother been so beautiful and so tall, she took the little maiden on her arm and both flew in brightness and in joy, so high, so very high. And then above was neither cold nor hunger nor anxiety. They were with God. But in the corner, at the cold hour of dawn, sat the poor girl, with rosy cheeks, with a smiling mouth, leaning against the wall, frozen to death on the last evening of the old year. Stiff, And Stark set the child there with her matches, of which one bundle had been burnt. She wanted to warm herself, people said. No one had the slightest suspicion of what beautiful things she had seen. No one even dreamed of the splendor in which, with her grandmother, she had entered on the joys of a new year.
0: You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is...
1: I first learned this story as a child. Not the literary, but the film version. Either way, it packs a punch. The story is both poignant and haunting. It's the tale of a young girl living in poverty and abuse. She is forced to spend her days on the street selling matches. The story mirrors an experience Anderson's mother lived. Anderson writes, As a young girl, her parents chased her out to beg. And when she had no luck, she spent a whole day crying under a bridge by the river in Odense. As a child, I could imagine all of this so clearly, and I wept about it. In this story, the protagonist is abandoned and fearful of returning home with no money. The young girl dies of hypothermia on the street alone. Anderson often crafts pictures of suffering. In fact, the word little in the title spells the character's doom. This is true for many stories. Little Red Riding Hood, for example. Many children lived in the streets in mid-19th century Europe. Child labor was common. Children were expected to work for long hours in dangerous conditions. Selling matches, flowers, or newspapers was an easier option than begging outright, which was illegal. The story contrasts the haves and the have-nots. Anderson's sympathies were always with the downtrodden, and the little match girl gives us a figure who is innocent and worthy of help. He also portrays a metaphoric contrast with his emphasis on light and darkness throughout the story. The young child peers from the darkness into windows, seeing the light of family life she will never have. Sadly, her pleas to the passerbyers go unheard. The poor were condemned in Victorian time. Rather than return home and receive a beating, the young girl found a secluded place to sit between two buildings. As she lit each match, her greatest desires were projected on the wall food, a Christmas tree, and her grandmother. We can assume that her grandmother was the only person to be loving and kind to her. As Kirsten Mamjiger pointed out, Anderson's grandmothers and other elderly women often shift and shimmer between the human, the spectral, and the divine. In doing so, Anderson provides an archetypal image that moves between conscious and unconscious awareness. The child continues to light the matches to keep her grandmother's memory alive for as long as she can. She dies with the vision that she and her grandmother are celebrating the holidays in heaven. Deathbed visions are common, and not only the stuff of fairy tales. In fact, many years ago, when my loved one was struggling with drug addiction, I had a similar dream. It was night. A young girl was sitting on a bench with her deceased grandmother. The street light shone on the empty bus before them. The door opened. I knew when I woke that my loved one's journey could be a fatal one. Anderson's story is a moralistic tale about the cruelty of the world. It arouses compassion for the poor. Nevertheless, it asks little of us. In Victorian times, it was believed that God marked an individual's fate. In essence, being poor was God's will. Rosalie and Brown writes that Anderson would let his heroine die was shocking, and to some of us, stories are exciting because they roll up our emotions, disturb our equilibrium, even if they make us miserable. I would say, satisfying. Certainly. Anderson portrays the reality of many of these children, but he did nothing to rile his readers' emotions enough for them to take action. Charles Dickens portrays a similar theme in The Christmas Carol, in which we see the transformation of Scrooge, an old man who begins as the most uncharitable of characters and becomes someone who keeps Christmas in his heart. In The Christmas Carol, it is the crippled boy, Tiny Tim, Who touched Scrooge's heart. In doing so, Scrooge moves archetypally from an old man to elder. In Anderson's story, there was no one to awaken for the child was invisible to others. She lived in a shadow world. Both stories hint at the idea of the deserved and the undeserved poor. Innocent children can be worthy of our concern while adults perhaps should make their way to prisons or workhouses. The little match girl's father stays inside while she faces the cold winter alone. Here we see the contrast between the deserved and the undeserved poor. Sophie kroeg Nielsen writes in her article, Daily Life in Denmark in the 19th Century, The genuinely deserving had to be helped so that they could avoid getting the public poor relief, which entailed a loss of civil rights. The political environment at the time was dominated by fiscal conservatism, so direct economic aid was out of the question. Instead, the upper classes felt that the Enlightenment was the best solution, for which reason they encouraged practical Enlightenment through financial education and general Enlightenment, through public lectures and lending libraries. There is an inevitability to Anderson's sad story that nothing can or will be done. The child will live a hard life, but receive her reward in heaven. The holidays are times for charitable giving. Dickens in the Christmas Carol gives us a mandate to change our ways, help the poor, and care for others. He asks us to look within ourselves, Focus on our abundance and give generously. Dickens doesn't allow us to look away. We see what the people on the street did not. We can no longer be those who ignored, pushed, or shoved the little match girl. It's easy to believe we don't live in a society with the sheer injustice found in these stories, but sadly, this is not true. The pandemic has left many people unemployed and without housing. Black, Native and Latino children have fared the worse. Do we turn away from those in need, determining them unworthy, or do we hold Christmas in our hearts instead? Anderson's story portrays the result of apathy. Dickens takes a more pointed approach. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange and not belonging to yourself, protruding from under your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the folding of its robe, it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garments. Oh, man, look here, look, look down here, exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostate, too, in their humanity, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with the freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacingly. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade, through all the mysteries of wonderful creation, had monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge stared back appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them, and they cling to me appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both and all their dangers, but most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written, which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out its hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye, admit it for your factious purposes, and make it worse, and bide the end. Have they no refuge? or resources? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? Anderson's happy ending was for the child to be taken to heaven where she would no longer suffer. Even being rescued from her plight and escaping death would not be as wonderful to him. But I disagree." i much prefer another ending to the story. Perhaps an old housemaid, a wise crone, that is, sees the child as she presses her nose against a window. The maid brings her in, warms her toes and feeds her empty belly. She tells her mistress that she needs some help in the kitchen. The little girl lives in the house and never returns to her abusive father and is never found on the streets. I wish I could say that she lived happily ever after, but that would be a true fairy tale. In this version, she simply lives a bit better. In Scrooge, we see the transformation of the old man into a sage who has compassion, empathy, and wisdom. In the grandmother character, we see the vision of a woman reaching out to protect and rescue her grandchild. Both of these characters provide the wise crone with guidance. Real-life children are suffering and struggling this holiday. Sadly, the poor are still with us, 175 years after the writing of these stories. But hopefully, we've lost our attraction to children dying a romantic and useless death. Perhaps we can bring these children in from the cold. Offer them a turkey dinner and let them live instead. May no child die alone and abandon this holiday season. Along with Scrooge, may we always hold Christmas in our hearts. The wise
0: crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life.
1: This is the storyteller, Kathy Schimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin McLeod, at Incompetent.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain.